Well, I was in middle school, and we rented a house down in Myrtle Beach for a week. And by we, I mean my parents, because I was in middle school and didn't have any money. And I got to take a couple of my friends, and my sister got to take a couple of her friends. We were down at the beach, and the beach is a great place to be when you're in middle school. You can go out all day on the ocean, have all kinds of fun. And that's what we did for the first couple days. And then the rain came in. And then it was a day at the aquarium, and then the rain stayed. Then it was all the other tourist traps. And the problem is when the rain is at the beach, nobody's at the beach, and everyone's everywhere you want to be because nobody wants to be at the beach. And so the third day in a row of rain, and my parents were like, we're going to go shopping today. Woo! And it's uh, South Carolina, so the shopping complex was somewhat outdoors, and you would walk outdoors from store to store, and one of the stores we stumbled into was a magic shop, and there behind the table was a magician salesman, or a salesman magician, I'm not sure which, because it's a magic shop, but he was doing a magic show, and we sat just transfixed on this guy doing his tricks. And some of the tricks were a little lame. We're like, yeah, we got that one. But some of the tricks, they blew our minds. And one of the tricks was he had a handkerchief. And he made the handkerchief disappear out of thin air and then made it reappear. And we just stared at him and watched him do it. We couldn't figure it out. And the, the show lasted about a half hour, at which point they tried to sell you all the different tricks that he did. And the handkerchief trick was 10 bucks, which for a bunch of middle school age kids at the time was like, I'm not spending 10 bucks on that. But we didn't have YouTube, and not everybody had a phone in their pocket like they do today. And we're like, how did he do that? And we were still talking about that. My parents were like, all right, we're going to hit up some other stores. And the next store they were going to was a candle shop. And we're like, no, no. We're going back to the magic store. And so we went back to the magic store, and we all said we're going to get in the front row, and we're going to watch how he does this trick, and we're going to figure out how he does the trick. And we sat through the whole show a second time, saw all the tricks for a second time, and we watched the handkerchief disappear out of thin air all over again. And we couldn't figure it out. And one of my friends said, that's it. I'm figuring it out. So he bought the trick, and he put it in a plastic bag, and he wouldn't let any of us see the box or how the trick worked. And he said, tonight, I'm going to make the handkerchief disappear out of thin air. So we ate dinner, and then we all gathered around the living room in the rented place, and we watched as my friend took the handkerchief and made it disappear out of thin air. We're all looking at him, and it's gone. And all of a sudden, we said, wait a minute. Why is your thumb starting to fall off? <laughs> Spoiler alert. The trick is there's a fake thumb. And when you're working at the magic shop, you get a custom-made thumb that ties directly with your skin tone and is a, is a tight fit with your thumb. When you buy the trick for $9.99 plus tax, you get the same thumb everybody else gets in the same skin tone and the same size, and the thumb was starting to fall off my friend's hand, which inside of the fake thumb 
was the handkerchief that was made to disappear out of thin air. And thus we discovered how the magician made the handkerchief disappear out of thin air. But there was that thought of how did he do that? Because we couldn't figure it out. This morning, we're continuing what we started last week and what we call the beginning, as we look at the beginning, as we see how God, last week we saw that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But even before God created the heavens and the earth, God was busy forming the plan of redemption. And that's what we looked at last week. And today, we're going to pick up right where we left off last week in Genesis 1, starting in verse 2. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd encourage you to download and utilize the Bible app. Once you've downloaded the Bible app, you can go to the events feature within the Bible app and either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201. If you have your Bibles, we'll be in Genesis 1, starting in verse 2. If you have a Bible but you aren't really familiar with it, Genesis is the first book, so right after the table of contents, we'll be right there. Uh, Genesis 1, starting in verse 2. And before we dive in this morning to Genesis chapter 1, I just want to give you a, a word about conjecture. Because there are a number of people who have a number of ideas about what we're going to look at today. And, and some people will say, well, th we live in a young earth. And, and some people would say, no, there's a gap between Genesis 1-1, where we left off last week, and Genesis 1-2, where we start today. Other people will say that the word day, it's more figurative than literal, and that's how it's to be interpreted. And I just want to give you a word about all of that. We're not going to dive into any of that conjecture today. For our purposes of our time together, what we're going to do is we're just going to analyze what the text says. Now, I certainly have my ideas, and I'm more than happy to talk through those with you. I'm more than happy to wrestle through things. I can point you to some resources if you're fascinated on the topic and want to dive in more, want to discuss those things of conjecture. I'd love to, love to discuss that with you. But for our purposes of our time together, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what the text says as we dive into Genesis chapter 1, beginning, on, beginning in verse 2, where we start this morning, where we read these words. Now, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So let's just stop right there. Where we left off last week, Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now where we start this morning, Genesis 1-2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This is a unique condition of the earth. We wouldn't recognize it. This sounds like one of those planets that we discover and we, we try to examine scientifically, and we look at it, and it looks completely barren. It looks like there's no life present. That's the, that's the form of the world that we discover here in Genesis 1-2, that it's formless and void, meaning that the world is unformed, and it's unpopulated. There is no life here. It's unformed, it's unpopulated, that there is darkness. There's no created light. And the Spirit of God is hovering. The whole earth is covered in water, and God is just hovering. The Spirit of God is hovering above the waters. It's a very unique picture that we're given in Genesis 1-2. And immediately from there, we go to Genesis 1-3-5, where we read these words, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Now notice what, 
what we're told right off the bat, which is vital, which is vital to us as we examine the creation account. And God said. And God said. This is fascinating because the means which God chose to utilize for creation is God speaks and it occurs. God speaks something out of nothing. God speaks something from nothing. And this is the mystery that science cannot solve. This is the mystery that science cannot explain. How you can take from nothing and get something. There must be a creator. There must be the start of something. And what we are told is we're told exactly what happens. That the eternal God did in fact create something from nothing. And he did so by speaking. And the word of God is powerful enough that God speaks into existence all of this from nothing. That is the power of our God. That God speaks and creates splendor and majesty in all that we see around us. Just by speaking, God creates it. And he brings about things from nothing. And what do we see that God's work on the first day is? Well, it's a work of division. That God creates light. And he creates rhythm. That's day one. On the very first day, God works at, at division. He creates light. And he creates rhythm. There is now light and there is darkness and there's a separation between the two. That is the work of God on day one. We continue from there. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning, the second day. On day two, God divides the waters. Now remember, the whole earth was covered with water. And on day two, God divides the waters. He divides the water from water on the surface against water in the atmosphere. Now, when, when this passage talks about heaven, it's not speaking of the place that those who put their faith and trust in the redeeming work of Jesus will go and be with their creator forever and ever. The picture of heaven that we're given here, as elsewhere in Scripture, there are degrees of heaven, and the picture that we're given of heaven here is referring to the atmosphere. It's referring to the atmosphere. So this is the air that we all breathe, and God's work on day two is to separate the surface water that we experience in this world against that of water vapor and all of the water in the atmosphere. So again, we see the work of God dividing. He's dividing now the water, and he's taking some of the water and putting it up in the atmosphere. He's taking others of the water and making it still be present here on the surface of the earth. And then we move on. In verses 9 and 10, we read this, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Now God divides. He divides the water that is left here on the surface, and he divides it from the land. God calls the land earth. He calls the waters seas. There's this division. Again, we see the dividing work of God. God now divides the earth 
from the water. And for those of you who have some waterfront property, you know how vital it is that that division that that division remain in place, especially what you've had to endure over the last year and a half of the of the different of the different levels of Lake Michigan and that pure havoc that comes about when the water level rises too high. You understand and appreciate the need for this division. God brings about this division as part of day three, and God said, "Let the earth sprout vegetation." Plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day." God speaks and vegetation and numerous kinds of all the plants that we see, all the different vegetables, all the different fruits, the different flowers, the different trees, all of those, all of those different varieties, all of that diversity, all of that beautiful diversity that we see in nature when we look around us is on full, that's on full display, God creates here. As part of day three, he brings about all of this, speaking it into existence. Look at the diversity and the beauty of the creation that God makes all the different kinds of vegetables and all the different kinds of fruit and all the different kinds of trees and all the different kinds of flowers and all the different kinds of plants. How, how some, how the same kinds of those plants all look alike, and yet every single one is unique in all that beautiful diversity which God created. Some plants need full sun. Some plants, plants need some shade. Some plants need full shade. Like all that diversity, all of that beauty, God creates here on day three. We see the beautiful diversity which God creates things with here as part of day three. God speaks, and the earth obeys, and it brings about all the different kinds of, of vegetation and all the different kinds of plants and flowers. When I was in 10th grade, I had a science project, and I had to go out, and I had to get 50 different species of tree leaves and take a leaf and laminate it and put it on a poster board and turn it in as a science project. And that project has never served me a single day in my life. Like, it was a complete waste of time. Then it's been a complete waste of time. Now, the only benefit, the only benefit, even looking back, if I'm trying to be generous, the only benefit to it is just when you think about that immense diversity and just one area that there are over 50 varieties of trees that you can choose from and take the leaf and, and laminate it and mount it on a stupid piece of poster board. Like when you think about all the incredible diversity that's on display, what that tells us about the creative nature of our God and the diversity with which he creates all the beautiful things and all the things that we can see, all the different types of vegetables, all the different types of fruits, all the different types of flowers, all the different types of plants. It's incredible. It's incredible. Now, I just want to pause here, and I just want to bring to light what the focus of God has been on the first three days of creation that we've just seen. And I've mentioned it, but over and over and over again throughout the three days of creation, what we see was a work of division, that we see light being separated from the darkness. We see the waters 
being separated from the land. We see all of the division, that we see the water being separated from the water. All of these divisions going on on the three days of creation. What we are left with is a very clear picture here. That God operates with order and within boundaries. That God operates with order and within boundaries. Now, we are reminded in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, that God is a God of order. That's literally what it says. God is a God of order, not chaos. We see from this creation account that God is a God of order. We see that he puts in place that there are boundaries. And I just want to encourage you, some of you right now, your lives are spiraling out of control and you're stressed and you're a mess. And the reason that you're stressed is there's no margin in your life and there's no margin in your life because there's no boundaries in your life and there's no order in your life. And if you are operating that way, the reason that you're stressed is because we are created in the image of our, the image of our creator. We are created in the image of God, and that's something we're really going to boil down and discuss in detail next week. But we are created in the image of our God, and the picture that we see of our creator over and over and over again throughout this account is that God is a God of order, not of chaos, and God puts in place boundaries. And when we live our lives in absence of order, when we invite chaos in into our lives, and when we do not operate having boundaries in place in our lives, we are going to feel stressed. We're going to constantly bristle at it. We're going, there's going to be something wrong, whether we can even realize what it is or not. We're just going to have that feeling that something is wrong. And the reason is because we're not operating within order and the boundaries that our Creator operates within, and we are made in His image. So, If you find yourself there, if you find yourself at the place where you're stressed constantly, you're snapping at people for no good reason, the things that you used to love about somebody now annoy you about them, and you you can't really even wrap your mind around it, I would suggest you're probably exhausted, and you don't have the margin in your life that you need to have. So I'm going to give you just a couple ideas that you can jot down or think through. Now, these aren't scripture, so this isn't an exhaustive list, and it doesn't mean that every single one has to be applied to your life, but I do believe that you have to operate your life within order and that you have to have boundaries in place in your life. And and so these are just some suggestions of places you can start if you find yourself in the place where you're constantly stressed, you're shorter and shorter with the people you love, you can't find joy in anything, you're probably burnt out and you need to have margin in your life. And so these are just some boundaries that you could put in place to help you create that margin. And again, this isn't an exhaustive list, so take the ones that work for you, throw away the ones that don't work for you, think through what it would look like in your context and in your situation and put into place those. But here are just a couple suggestions just to get the thought process rolling for you. The first is make sure you're taking time off. Take your days off. Take days off work. Uh, We're going to talk about that next week as well. The second is set time limits. Set time limits for when you'll accept calls. Set time limits for when you'll respond to messages. We, We live in a world that's never been more connected, and yet the result is we've never been more disconnected. It's fascinating. Our world has never been more connected, and yet people have never been more disconnected. And there's a mindset now that a lot of people have that if I send you a text message, you have two minutes. And if it takes you two minutes, you need to, you need to be a lot quicker on your response time. Like, it doesn't have to function that way. Take a breath. You don't have to check your text constantly. Some of you just need to mute notifications. 
Because the notifications of your devices rule your life, and they're ruining your life. And so you just need to mute notifications. Now, some of you are like, "Mm -hmm. mm-hmm, preach, preach, Brian. But you're the person that three weeks from now still won't respond to an email. I'm not advocating that either, all right? So what I'm advocating is you put some boundaries in place, but this isn't an excuse to be lazy. This is for the people that feel like I have to respond to every message right now, and if I take an hour, it's too long. Set time limits for when you'll accept calls. Set time limits for when you'll check your, check your messages. Be disciplined when checking your email. Be disciplined when checking your email. For some of you, the temptation's too great, and you need to take your work email off your phone. You need to take your work email off your phone. You're like, but I have to check my email even when I'm not working. Fine. Go through your web browser, but take the shortcut off your phone. If you actually must check your email, that's fine. There's still ways to do it, but the the temptation of the shortcut is just too much, and now that email is running your life and you're constantly worn down, and you're constantly stressed, and it's because you don't have the margin, and you don't have the boundaries in place. And what we see from our creator here in the first three days of creation is order and division and boundaries that God puts into place. And those same things need to be put in place in our lives as well. All right, we're going to move on. Uh, Now we get to day four of creation. In Genesis 1, 14 through 19, we read these words, And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Here on day number four, God made the sun and the moon and the stars. These are signs. They're navigational signs. They're seasons and markers of time, days and months and years. It's fascinating how space to this day fascinates us, and so much of what God created and so much of what God designed, we still look at with awe and wonder, and we can't even fathom all of the things in the atmosphere and in the galaxy that God created. I mean, it's fascinating how space has become the billionaire's new playground. I don't know if you saw this week, SpaceX launched the first all-civilian crew, which was launched in space. It's just fascinating what the billionaires are coming up with and all the exploration and what's heartbreaking about so much of that is that there is this awe and this wonder about what's created and a dismissal of the creator. And we look at all that God has created and we look with awe and wonder and yet the words of Romans are coming true that people are worshiping what's been created rather than the creator who put it into place. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. 
God creates all the fish, all the sea creatures, all the birds that fly, and, and there's so much of the sea that we have yet to discover. And this is the old billionaire's playground with their super yachts and everything on the ocean. When we look at all the wonder in the, in the depths of the ocean that we still haven't discovered, and all the beauty and all the majesty and the coral reefs and the different fish and the different, different types of, of creatures that are in the sea, it's just fascinating. My wife and I were privileged to go to Hawaii for our honeymoon. Somebody gave that to us as a gift, and we were out in Hawaii, and we got to go uh, snorkeling on a, on a reef, and before we went snorkeling, we had to watch a video that said, whatever you do, don't step on the reef, and then we got the rented snorkeling gear, so I had the mask on and the little breathing tube, and I, I tried to put some flippers on my, uh, on my feet, and I am not the man who has enough coordination to try to swim with all of that at all, and I'm out there swimming, and I see these these just tremendously beautiful fish, and I want to get a closer look. And so I, I go down to get a, a closer look, forgetting that I've got an air tube connected to my mouth that I'm breathing through. So I just take a giant just drink of salt water, and I immediately just step on the reef I'm not supposed to step on. And I'm like, all right, we need to go to the beach and reassemble here and threw off the breathing tube and the, the fin things that were supposed to help me swim that just made it worse. And then I just went back out, and I would just hold my breath and dive under with just the mask on and see all of the life forms, all the beauty that God's created in the coral reefs, all the beauty and all the amazing diversity that God's made with all the different types of fish and all the things that live in the ocean. And yet, you know what's just even more amazing than that, and even more beautiful than that? For the first time, for the first time here recorded for us in Genesis 1, God addresses someone else. When he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. The first message that God delivers to someone else is to animals. And the message is a message of blessing. The creator telling the created to procreate. That's a beautiful message of blessing that the creator delivers. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And that's where we're going to stop today, the start of the sixth day. We're going to pick it up next week as, as we dive in on great detail to the creation of humanity. But what we see here on the start of the sixth day... Is three categories of land animals. And this is the day, day number six is the day that I love the most. It's the day I'm most excited about because this is the day that God made things that are worth eating for dinner. And this is the day that God would later go on to make humanity. But it's just, it's just a great day. And here what we see on the start of day six is that God makes cattle. He makes cows and sheep and goats and rams, etc. That God makes the creeping things, reptiles and amphibians. And we don't know why God would choose to make those things. Many of us were like, why? That, uh, we don't know, but God did. And this is the day that God would make beasts, wild animals that can't be domesticated. All of this, all of this God makes in the start of day six. Now, did you notice how days four, five, and six correspond with days one, two, and three? That on day one, God divides the light from the darkness. On day four, God makes 
the sun, the moon, and the stars. On day two, God separates the water on the surface from the water in the atmosphere. On day five, God creates the birds and the fish. On day six, God separates the water from the land, and he calls the land earth, and he calls the water seas. And on day six, God creates the land animals. It goes on to create humanity, which we're going to dive into starting next week. All these things fit and pattern, and all these things correspond. And yet we're left with a question. And that question is, why did God take six days to create what he could have created in an instant? It's not that God needed all six days in order to create things. Not that God is so limited that he's like, oh, there's so much work to be done. I need this time. God is all powerful. God could have in an instant or something else that he chose that that defies even our best logic. God could have just had everything. We don't know. But God chose to create over a span of six days. Why? Why would God choose to create over that span of six days? And I'm convinced the answer is for creation. The answer is for those who are created. In much the same way that God didn't need to rest on the seventh day, as we'll look at next week, God chose to. And the message I am convinced of why God chose to create over the span of six days is if this is the dedication and this is the detail and this is the level of care that the Creator puts into creation. How much more care and detail does God put into you and I the inhabitants of his creation as we look around and to this day we are blown away when we see all of the things that this world has to offer and we see all the all the majesty and all the beauty on full display It takes our breath away, and when we really look at it, and when we really fathom the beautiful world in which we live, we see the intimate detail of the Creator. And we see His level of care, taking His time, not because He had to, but because He wanted to, because He created something beautiful and something special. The question that I have for you is, what makes you think he stopped there? I didn't extend that to you. And some of you are wrestling through a life of not, of not feeling like you're enough, a life of feeling like you're inadequate, a life of feeling like you're a mistake. And maybe you were a mistake to your parents, but you weren't a mistake to your Creator. And the God who puts so much 
detail and dedication and care into the world in which we live extends that detail and dedication into each and every one of us to the point he knows down to the number of hairs that you have on your head. God is not some God who's distant and out there and just knowledgeable of your existence, but he is the God who intricately put you together, every piece of you together. And you might have been told by others that you don't matter. You might feel like you don't matter. You might feel like your life is insignificant. You might feel like you're just an ends to a means. And no matter where you go or what you do, it isn't enough. And you're not enough. And you'll never be enough. And you'll never measure up. And nothing could be further from the truth. And if you have problems accepting that about yourself, I'm begging you, just look outside. Because a world that will tell you you don't matter and you are insignificant. As you look outside, the world declares and displays the glory of the God who made you and loves you and created you. And some of you just have to hold on to that truth and grasp onto it and refuse to let it go. Because the lies of the enemy will tell you you aren't enough and you don't measure up and you, you can't be good enough for anybody to love. And God says, it was never about you being good enough. Before I created you, I knew you wouldn't be good enough. So I put a plan in place. I love you. And my hope is that you recognize that the same God who made the beauty around you made you. And that for the rest of your life, that will change the way that you see yourself. And you realize just how incredible God has designed you to be. God, I pray. I pray especially for the person here who's struggling with their value and their worth, whether or not they matter, Lord, I pray that you would help them see themselves through your eyes. I pray, God, that they would see the beauty that this world has to offer. And that that beauty would remind them that all of this was created by the same creator who created us. and who loves us. I pray, God, for the person here who's struggling with bitterness and frustration because there is no margin and they're stressed out and they're burnt out and the people that love them the most are tired of them and there's friction. And I pray, God, that there would be order and boundaries put in place. They could discover margin. Lord, as we're reminded every day, if we just open our eyes, as we're mere feet away from your beauty, which is on full display, I pray, God, we would never 
lose sight of how incredible you are. And yet, God, in a time where people increasingly worship what you've created instead of you, the creator, we pray, God, that we would be a part of your work in revealing the truth of the creator to all we encounter. And so, God, we're asking you to use us in a powerful way to communicate the hope and the message of Jesus, that this isn't an accident and this didn't just get here but there is something far more important than that's the beautiful world in which we live. So God, help us take the hope and the message of the Creator to all we encounter. And use us, God, in that process, not because you need us, but because you choose to utilize us. That we would see eternities changed and we would rejoice with you as people discover their creator. In your son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.